Welcome to The Doing Effect. My name is Tom Mitchell and I'm a professional rugby sevens player and Olympian. And on this podcast, I'm going to explore the worlds of people who are truly making the most of their days. We will be going behind the curtain to listen to the stories, lessons and lives of people doing great things to hear how they live out The Doing Effect. This podcast is brought to you by Days Brewing, alcohol-free beer for people who want to make more of their most precious commodity, time. Brewed in Scotland, their 0% lager and pale ale are available on their website and 2% of sales are donated to mental health initiatives. Listeners can use the code DOING15 for 15% off their first order from daysbrewing.com. Today I am chatting to Fergus Crawley, a man who spends his time completing a baffling combination of physical challenges, testing strength, endurance and speed. From lifting weights to climbing mountains, the tasks Fergus has taken on include scaling Ben Nevis 22 times back to back, ultramarathons across Scotland and performing a max squat, a sub five minute mile and a marathon all in one day. And whilst he is a man who wants to explore his own limits and experience, all these challenges were undertaken with the aim of highlighting the issue of mental health, a concept Fergus came face to face with in the most extreme way in 2016. He now endeavours to bring light to the mental health conversation and bring people into it through his challenges, which have also raised many thousands of pounds for charities like Movember. This is a real human story and Fergus offers up so many good lessons for how to look after ourselves, but also push ourselves to the boundaries of what we think we're capable of. So Fergus, just before we came on, I was uh, scrolling through your Instagram, uh, not in a weird way, and a couple of things stood out to me. One was what a fantastic moustache you've got in most of your pictures. I was very impressed by that. But the other thing that stood out was the huge array and variety and creativity of the physical challenges that you take on that you put yourself through how do you come up with some of those ideas and we'll get onto what they are but how do you come up with them there's quite a uh, complicated process that goes on internally i guess but when it boils down to it, it's all quite simple in that i've got things that i enjoy doing i've got things that i know i'm better at than i am at other things and I just try and think of quirky ways to bring attention to certain things through the medium of physical suffering, I guess is the way of putting it. And it's it's important to me because one, it gives a certain sense of attachment to the challenge I'm taking on because I've learned from what I've done over the years, how much I gain as an individual from doing these things, whether that's introspective thinking, whether that's time to myself with my own thoughts, all these little things. And the process that goes on building up towards these challenges, I know how much there is to gain from actually putting the time aside to think about how to pull them together. So for a bit of context, the first one I ever did came out of the, came out of the background of, I was sitting in a, uh, in a coffee shop on the corner of Brixton Hill with a flat white and a salted caramel brownie. You can tell I, uh, I don't remember this very well, obviously. <laughs> and, I was I was working the job that I was at in London there. Coming, to, I've just finished a graduate scheme and I'd got full time position in London, but the job just wasn't particularly fulfilling for me. I opened up my laptop and just got hit with this white noise of you just don't want to do this. And I I recognised at that point that that white noise was a similar mental experience 
to the one that I'd experienced a couple of years previously, which is previously retrospectively now been diagnosed as depression. So I thought, right, you've been here before. Don't do what you did last time and ignore this, brush it under the carpet and just pretend it'll go away. What was missing last time? A sense of fulfillment. Therefore, what can you try and do to make this better? Find one. I thought, what am I good at? I'm good at squatting. I'd been competing internationally in powerlifting at the time. I thought, okay, squatting, what can I do with this? Looked up a few statistics related to Movember and saw that sadly half a million men take their own lives every year around the world, which is actually a statistic that's grown since 2018 when I used that one. I thought, right, well, obviously I'm going to try and squat half a million kilos in 24 hours because I'm good at squatting and that's a big punchy statistic. So that was where my brain went, but it sounds like a complicated process, but the, the, the simplicity of it was there was a statistic that I wanted to draw people's attention to. There was a skill, a passion, something that I had as an individual I could use to help push out that message. And thus, November Challenge number one was born. And uh, yeah, I've, I've just experienced a really positive interaction with using the challenges as a hook for people to engage with the, the statistics that sort of sit behind them. And I think if anyone's inter interested in the physical challenges, but not necessarily interested in the mental health side of things, because as we know, some people are much more passionate and involved in the conversation than others. You can't be interested in the physical stuff without also at the same time comprehending the mental health stuff. So I try and, I try and mold the two together so that it can potentially just bring on, bring on some new conversations new discussions off the back of them really yeah so i mean i'm hearing that connecting up between the purpose that being the starting point and then understanding how that relates to you as an individual your strengths what you enjoy doing i guess though once you've kind of curated this idea of what you might want to do from the physical side and some of the stuff is pretty crazy i mean we're talking a couple of stuff you've done in recent years um you did six thousand nine hundred eighty lunges uh in one go right um 90, yep. you did a 94 mile run off the off the back of that and a 13 hour workout and that was kind of all in a very short space of time and recently i saw on your instagram you did an 11 hour bike just for what looked like kicks um but it, you've obviously explained that it's not that's not the only reason you're not just doing it for the suffering um but when you've got that you've got those challenges you've come up with something creative isn't it daunting how do you get past that daunting thought of, oh God, how do I actually take the first steps? How do I get going? Well, I think it's, um, I, I, I've gone through an incremental process of re, reworking what daunting, intimidating means to me in the sense that I now am much better equipped and understand myself a lot more in terms of what I'm capable of, what the variables are, what is within my control and what is without my control. because. I know I can best prepare for the things that are thrown at me within these stupid ideas that I dream up. But at the end of the day, there's things that are going to be thrown at me that I can't necessarily predict, I can't necessarily prepare for. And ultimately, that's where I find the most value in doing these things. Because when I'm under the cosh, 12 hours deep into something, and something pops up that I haven't predicted or prepared for, it's then up to me to find a way through it. And that's kind of, if we're going to make it metaphorical, the message that I'm trying to put across in terms of the the self-development, the compartment, compartmentalizing what's in front of you and basically finding the best solution to keep moving forwards. Because when I 
was suffering from depression when I was definitely perpetuating the stigma against men that made me stay silent and suffer without acknowledging to anybody around me, putting on the biggest smile I possibly could. I was faced with those unpredictables, those things that I wasn't prepared for, and I sat back and didn't try to find a way through them because I just, I, I wasn't acknowledging the fact that I had the power within myself to figure out how I'd got to this position, what can I do now, how can, how can I move forwards. I just didn't accept the situation for what it was and tried to keep moving forwards, but if there's, a, if there's an obstacle in the way, it's very difficult to move past it. So that's that's why these things are now incrementally less and less daunting for me because i know how much there is to be gained from them from a personal perspective i encourage people to push their own boundaries for the exact same reasons what is scary can be powerful because if you can overcome what seems scary then you're suddenly much better equipped for when these things come at you in the future what's been the toughest challenge for everything you've done so far project vertical was stupid um in many ways the project in 2020 was based around the world's first, well, an attempt at the world's first vertical marathon, which was purely just a hook to get people involved with the project. The plan was to conti continuously ascend and descend Ben Nevis for 11 days, which is basically all we could budget and allocate time for, to try and accumulate 26.2 miles of vertical gain. So 42,200 meters up the way in simple terms. We went into that knowing that we'd be sleep deprived, we'd be exhausted, we'd be battered for 11 days straight. And knowing that that's something that you've willingly signed up to do is, is terrifying. Not at all. No, it sounds like, it sounds like an easy, straightforward thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The whole premise of the project was to encourage people to climb their own mountain. Our one in this case was Ben Nevis, but your one might be having a conversation with someone about how you've not been feeling yourself as a result of the pandemic. It might be admitting that actually you might be abusing alcohol for negative reasons. It might be Everest. It could be stepping away from a job that's making you miserable. All these mountains, quote unquote, that plague people's day-to-day -day lives, the whole point of the project was just to make people consider them in their own context so that they could move on forwards. You didn't do this alone, did you? You took this challenge on with a friend of yours, right? Yeah, so it was my coach, Johnny Payne. Um, so we realised when I was preparing for this originally, this was my idea. And I said, said it to him and he thought, oh, that's stupid. Yeah, that sounds good. And a couple of weeks later, he thought, he said, actually, I'd quite like to take this on with you because I think from a coaching perspective, there's so many things going on. Doing it on your own would potentially be detrimental to the message behind the project. And the whole message was climb your own mountain but be a man of more words and do things to fight through fight these battles together so having each other was a huge part of the message and especially against the context of the previous challenges that i'd done they'd all been about teamwork they'd all been about the stuff behind the scenes and that doesn't necessarily shine through um so having johnny there was a massive massive boost in terms of getting through what turned out to be about 210 miles across the 11 days, just under 30,000 meters of vertical gain, um, a whole lot of borderline injury, a lot of pain, a, not enough sleep, thousands and thousands and thousands of calories. But the lessons that we learned, the fun that we had, the simplicity of the simplicity of just being with people taking on this challenge was a beautiful thing in reality. And was, I mean, getting out of bed every morning was the hardest part of that. 
And I knew after a couple of days, I, in my, the back of my mind, I was like, right, once you've taken that first hundred steps on the hill in about an hour, an hour and a half time, hour and a half time, you will be fine. And I got better and better at telling myself that each morning because I knew there wasn't long before the hurdle in front of me had been overcome. So in terms of that, that was the hardest challenge in the sense of the, the repetitive endurance element. It was so much more beyond just aerobic efficiency. It was a real, real fight with myself, fight with those around me and fight with things that I couldn't control. And that was ultimately the whole point of the project. It was to almost represent what it is to be suffering with your mental health and to try and give a platform to ways that we can work around that against the setting of um, the challenge itself, which was to encourage people to climb their own mountain. I think that's a lovely lesson there. Very literally for you, it was about getting out of bed and just taking the first 10 steps, 20 steps, 100 steps. Um, And I suppose as a lesson for anyone looking to just get going, that is it, is trying to find wherever that first step is. And it's not always about imagining yourself on top of the mountain. It might just be getting yourself into your shoes and, and taking that first step. And I think that's a really, that's a really cool lesson. It makes it uh, small for people, I guess. Um, so rather than envisaging yourself at the end, doing it all of the 22, you imagine one or you imagine your hundred steps. I think that's really cool. Um, and was there one particular moment that you remember that you were really glad that you were there with someone else rather than by yourself? Yeah. So there was, um, there were several, but there's one that sticks out to me from a, a quite a sentimental point of view in the sense that we had a project manager called Doug, who is one of our best mates. I've been friends with him since I was 14, I believe, when I moved schools. And he was one of the first people I sort of connected with. And every year since I've shared my story, opened up about what I've been doing, he's just been all hands on deck, no questions asked, refused payment, refused anything every step of the way to be a part of it. And he was project manager for the 11 days. Completely smashed it, exceeded expectations in every possible way, but he'd never been at Ben Nevis. And he's got not got much experience with Monroe's Hills at all. And he came up with us, I think it was on day four or day five, and came up with us the whole way, got to the summit. So it was the four of, four of us at the top. There was a cloud inversion around every single peak except Ben Nevis because it was just just that much higher than the rest of them. And we just had this sort of golden orange sunset. And Doug was crying his eyes out. I started crying. Johnny started crying because it was just the most idyllic moment that we could have possibly imagined. And even though we were five days deep and we knew that we had six days to go, at that moment, everything else just seemed so, so insignificant because we were the only people there in this unbelievable setting, we got there not as individuals, but as a team, and we could share this moment together. And it was just pure, simple, base human enjoyment. That was all it was. Sounds like a hell of a selfie opportunity as well. Uh, there's several, several. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. Hi guys, it's Duncan from Days here. Hope you're enjoying the doing effect with Fergus. I want to take a quick moment to update you on what's been going on at Days. Throughout January, we ran our Ford Fours initiative, four beers, 10 pounds, and 100% proceeds to charity. It got an amazing response. Thank you to everyone for supporting it. It was a pretty special moment for me and Mike, actually, when we donated all the proceeds and the 2% of sales to Mind Charity. 
They're an amazing charity that provides advice and support to anyone experiencing a mental health problem. Check them out at mind.org.uk. We also had a lot of fun promoting our billboard outside Murrayfield Stadium, which you can see on our LinkedIn channel. There may not have been 80,000 people walking past it, but we gave it a pretty good effort to reach that many people online. We'll let you get back to the podcast. And as ever, keep enjoying those days. Just, you've already talked a lot about the purpose, the motivation behind doing a lot of these, frankly, crazy physical challenges where you're pushing yourself to the, to the max. And behind the purpose and the cause is your own story, which you, you sort of touched on a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more about back in sort of around 2016, around that time when you were going through a particularly tough period? Basically, I left school with really quite high expectations of my myself and with high expectations on me, I felt like. Went to Durham to study theology and religion. Um, I'd had ambitions to go to Oxford, which is why I was studying theology, because it basically meant my chances of getting in were massively reduced. Didn't get in, ended up in the graveyard, Durham, obviously. And quickly found myself in a college that was full of lovely people sort of nearby, but in a self-catering college, decent people in nearby like I need to make clear that there was nothing wrong with the people that were there they just I just knew quite quickly they weren't like-minded they weren't going to be friends for life and I suddenly felt a bit on the back foot it didn't seem overly stressful to start with but I very quickly realized that actually once speaking to my friends I was missing out on the interaction that a lot of people were having and it slowly started to make me feel a bit isolated a bit alone a bit annoyed that actually I'd worked hard to go to this university that was actually having a really negative experience um, or giving me a really negative experience, sorry. I didn't really do anything about it, to be honest. I made some friends at the gym and ultimately that developed. But by the time it came to signing for a house in second year, as everybody knows, this happened way too fast. And I, by the time I'd sort of made friends with them, they'd already signed somewhere. So that wasn't an option. So I was faced with the decision of, do I live alone in Durham in private halls? Or do I go and live with friends from school in Newcastle? And I chose the latter because I wanted to be around people because that's what I was missing. But without admitting it to anyone, without acknowledging it even personally, really, I just stayed in the same situation, isolated, feeling alone, kind of disconnected from my course, disconnected from those around me, competing in an individual sport. So I didn't have that sense of community. The path that I had envisioned for myself, I was no longer on. So what do I do now? But um, early May 2016, I attempted suicide. And the last words that I exchanged with my family, this is what I recently found out on WhatsApp, were my mum had basically shared an article about someone that had sadly died because of uh, allergic reaction to peanuts. She sent me the articles just saying, be careful if you're ever ordering from a takeaway. So she literally sent me concern for my well-being. I'd said, okay, thanks for sharing because I'm allergic to peanuts, just to clarify that. And then my next line was, I'm fine. How's life with everyone else? About two hours later, I attempted suicide. And that was how ashamed, how isolated and how much of a mask I was putting on because I just didn't want to acknowledge the situation I was in. I didn't want anybody to know that I was suffering because I would have seen that as labeling me as weak, labeling me as vulnerable. And if that was the case, then I was less of a man. I wasn't the person that people thought I was and therefore I had failed. So... What's interesting as well is this is a conversation I've had recently is that I never consciously 
chose, never consciously acknowledged that I wanted to die. I just wanted the, I just wanted the pain and the thoughts inside my own head to stop. So I didn't think you need, you need to die here. I thought I just want peace. And I think the, the scary thing is that that became so overwhelming that I pushed the reality of what I was about to do to the back of my mind enough so that I could commit to trying to do it. And that was, that's something that I still struggle to process. And what I do really struggle to process is all the things that have happened since then, all the laughs, all the times I've enjoyed, all the achievements I've had, all the good things that have happened to me, almost nothing, just nothing, which is what I struggle to process the most. But I ultimately count myself fortunate for having experienced what I did and coming out the other side because it makes me who I am today. It's all part of the process. There's things that I've learned from it. There's things that I can take forwards. And the key lesson is that I made the mistake of suffering in silence and now want to put that message out there that I've made that mistake so other people don't have to because I know what it's like to be there. I know exactly how you can process things to put yourself in that position. And that doesn't need to be the case. I am a I am a bloke that would like to think I've got a, a pretty high tolerance for suffering, for enduring things. And I'll put my hands up and say that there's no need man to man to to keep things to yourself and to force that suffering upon you. And you're actually a, a stronger person for admitting that you are vulnerable than you are weakened for it. And that was the mistake that I made, not one that I'd like others to make. Man, it's an incredibly powerful story and an incredibly powerful message, which you've um, not only very eloquently explained there, but very visibly put out in, through the challenges that you do. The, the thing I actually kind of really struck by right now is, um, is the way you're able to talk about it and the way actually we can sit here and have a conversation about it. And I'm sure you do with your mates. I've seen you on social media talking about it. And I think as much as your, your own story carries huge amount of power, actually being able to normalize the conversation about experiences like that is, is got to be hugely beneficial. Um, and obviously that's a, that's a big concept um, of sitting down with your mates with some beers and actually, yes, you can talk about, you know, what happened in the football or, you know, what you're lifting in the gym or, you know, someone's got a new girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, but also being able to say to your mates, you know, I'm not feeling great right now and I'm really struggling. I really need your support. Um, and kind of put, just putting that into part of the, the daily conversation if necessary. And I think that's what it feels like you're doing, doing very well and something that's equally as powerful as the emotion in, in the story as you tell it. Another thing I've seen from your social media, from your YouTube, is your humour. So this is something, I mean, I think you're a pretty funny guy. Do people tell you that? All the time, mate. I, I've lost track. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that something that you consciously uh, employ uh, to sort of ground you? Or is that, is that part of your character that's, that's always been there, even through the tough times? It, it has always been there. And I think I probably, I probably don't put it on social media as much as I not should. But I, I, I repress some elements in that dark, darker humour has always been something that I've employed. And I, I could now joke about my own experience without attaching any emotion to that, whereas other people might not be at the stage where they can process it that way. But at the end of the day, I, I coped 
for as long as I did when I was suffering through simple humorous exchanges, simple human connections. Training was a huge part of it, obviously. Um, but now I just, I, I, I went to a, an excellent school at Edinburgh, not one that was lacking in pastoral care, but I only left eight years ago. And I've consciously thought about it and know that we didn't have information presented to us in a way that was digestible because it was always very statistic, very top line, and there was no way of understanding the information you've been given. And there wasn't really a broader conversation on mental health. And I think now there's been such a huge shift in terms of even 16 to 18-year-olds will gain so much more from hearing about somebody who's once been in their shoes placing it within that context and basically sharing that experience than they will hearing a PhD psychologist sharing all the reasons why we become depressed, all these things that happen as a result of an imbalance here or a lack of fulfillment there. And that's all well and good. And that is definitely what underpins all of this stuff. But we're human beings at the end of the day, and we can't be painted with a broad brushstroke. We all have individual wants, all have individual needs, all have individual desires. And that's why I think just being open, honest, humorous, and not really attaching too much seriousness to the broader conversation is something that's very important to me because I found it's helped me process the concept of mental health within society. And I think it's helped other people as well. But the reason I try to attach humor to it is ultimately because I, 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 statistics exist, yes, but they, they don't encourage action in people like people do. The concept of remembering that we're human and that we're all human is a really interesting one for me as an athlete as well, because being a professional athlete is, is now I process it as being very much a label, one of many labels that, that I wear. Um, but it, if you get too bogged down in one of those labels, it can affect your mental well-being. And, and if you don't kind of hold it in the right way, it can be pretty tricky sometimes. Um, I mean, a great example of that is when I used to come back from tournaments and you'd have these huge emotional highs and really fulfilling, absolute buzz around loads of people. And then we'd fly back in, get in on like an early Tuesday morning. Everyone would say goodbye at the airport. You go back home for a couple of days recovery. So you're by yourself for a couple of days. You've got no real exercise that you've been prescribed because it's rest. Um, you've not got anything fulfilling to do. You've suddenly got to start cooking your own meals where you've been used to living in a hotel for a couple of weeks. And I used to just plummet in terms of my emotional state. How do you balance out those huge highs of your physical challenges with then <laughs> coming back down to earth, often literally, um, so that you do promote and encourage um, your own kind of mental stability and well-being moving forward. Yeah, it, it, it's something I've I've spoken about in the past. It's something I'm still, well, uh, it's something I'll always be improving on, I guess, but all the rugby players I know have pretty sort of livable experiences, what you just referred to there, in the sense that the ups and downs and the, is the, the identity attachment that can come from placing yourself in a box. And I, I mean, part of the reason that I suffering from depression in the first place was because I created this box, put myself in it. And then the second I was even remotely out of the box, I was failing. And then that failure meant that I didn't do anything else differently. I just thought, right, you're failing. How do you put yourself back in the box rather than acknowledging that maybe, maybe the box is the yeah, problem. Maybe here. there is no box. So I've now, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I've, I've now flipped that, and I now try and appreciate things a lot more in the in the here and now. That sounds a bit of a yeah, I'm into it. I'm into that. Say, but... I'm into that happy stuff. But yeah. so, is there like a are there activities that you think of kind of the yin to your yang, um, or vice versa? It's 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 more um, it's more understanding my relationship with those highs and lows, and trying to implement coping mechanisms ahead of time. So it's, it's prevention, not cure. So if we were to use your example, um, I mean, I, I can use my examples, but I think given you've given the context, it might be easy to work with. If you were to come back from that really high social interaction sort of setting, all your meals could be cooked for yourself and you went back to this just quite sort of day-to-day simple existence, immediately what you'll probably be missing is that massive downturn and you're not around a lot of people. So what I'd try and do ahead of time is try and organise spending time with those close to me in a sort of social setting ahead of time. So I knew that if I did feel like I was lacking human connection, within a day or two, I'd have it again, that sort of thing. So this time around, coming back off the hill, I knew that that was, that was 11 months of work, 11 months of work on top of full-time work, training stupid amounts of volume, all of a sudden for that, all to be over, done, like just blip, gone. So I knew, right, you need something, you need, you'll probably need at least a week of just really simple processing, whatever is in front of you at the time. And then you need to get your teeth stuck into something straight away. Otherwise you'll feel useless because I've learned from previous experiences. I mean, the downside in November as well, and this is interesting for the, the context of the discussion here is that I come out in November and we're in December. And that's pretty much the only month of the year that I really drink any any booze anymore. And very quickly, I'm relaxing. I'm not training as much. So I'm not focusing on my sleep. I'm not focusing on my recovery, but I am interacting more with human beings. But then all of a sudden, I feel exhausted. I'm not recovering. I'm barely training. I'm not enjoying my training because I've been drinking consistently, because I've, my structure's been off, because all, all these things didn't have parameters set before I went into them. So now I make sure that I know what the first fortnight looks after anything looks like after anything I've done that I know is going to send me downwards. So I think, it, I mean, it sounds, it sounds overly, overly rigid in, in some ways, but it, it's almost the opposite in the sense that the rigidity that's led me to the point that's going to send me downwards is all I need to do is mimic that in some way, because that's what I've grown used to. So it's it's just shifting the parameters of your day-to-day life so that it doesn't feel like such a big contrast because as soon as you start attaching your identity to something and that thing's taken away, you don't know who you are anymore. You are in the process of moving away from um, a job which has some stability uh, and basically going out into talk about unknown, you're kind of going to be your own boss. You're going to be managing your own time and doing some of your own projects full-time. I think loads of people aspire to, to have the courage or, or even understand how to go from a job that they're maybe not as fulfilled in as they'd like to be and move on to doing their own thing. And it might not just be similar stuff to what you're doing. Everyone's got their own context, but how have you got to this point where it's, you're, you're taking that first step, I guess, into, the, into the, another unknown? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's not, yeah, but I mean, if I was trying to sell something here, I probably would say this is the formula to do it, but there isn't a formula to do it in the sense that for context from my own point of view, it's, it, this is about three, three years in the making from the moment where 
I started to turn a passion and a hobby into something more meaningful. And I've just applied the time and just continuously kept showing up because it's something that I enjoy for the past three years. And I've worked full time throughout the past three years on top of the charity work, on top of the training, on top of the challenges. And all the stuff I've done has been within holiday allocations. It's been within the constraints of a working world. But it's never seemed overly difficult or never seemed impossible because it is important to me. And I think that's the most important thing to lay out. If you are wanting to pursue a way out of your currently unfulfilling existence, but trying to fill that gap with another unfulfilling pursuit, i.e. you see an advert on Facebook for dropshipping, and that sounds like a good way to bridge the gap with income so that you can go on holiday more. But if you don't enjoy dropshipping, that's not the solution. But I think the point is I I stumbled upon what is about to become a career out of passion by accident. And it's now three years of just going through the motions of it purely because I enjoy it where I'm at the point now where it's something that I can actually pursue properly. And I almost did this last year. Um, So January last year uh, before the current job I'm in came along. And now a year later, I'm in a much better place to push things forward the context makes more sense there's more behind me there's more credibility behind the things that I'm about to do and it's just being patient and making sure that what I am doing is what I enjoy and what I would like to do because if you unless unless money is your sole objective a side hustle or whatever it's going to be might end up just actually exhausting you more and causing you more fatigue more stress and make the already unfulfilling job even more stressful I mean, I'm lucky enough to have sort of built a bit of a community around it. I've had some incredible support from some amazing brands, some amazing people, and I wouldn't have got here without any of that. If I was to break it down into steps, one is understand what makes you feel fulfilled, what you're truly passionate about. Engage with it, dip your toe in the water, see how things go, stick with it for a period of time, implement more of it, do more of the things that you enjoy around it see how things go. And then if it does look like it's going to be something that you can actually use to build a career with, develop from, then just ruthlessly pursue consistent execution of it until it makes itself viable. And two years ago, if you told me that I was even in any position where I was going to make something viable now, I would have laughed at myself. But two years have passed. I've done what I was doing before, just on a bigger scale. And here we are. So I'd love to know what your dream physical challenge is. Oh, that's a dangerous question to plant the seed in my brain with. But no, I'd, um, I, I'm, at, I'm at the stage now where I don't really want my challenges to get any bigger for a while anyway, unless anyone wants to bankroll them. Um, but I would like them to get broader because the whole purpose of this has been to basically break that cycle of 11 months of work, November, emotional crash, drink too much, new year, kind of get back on it, 11 months of work, crash, three years I've been doing that and it's not been healthy for me. So if I keep scaling that up, then the crash is going to get bigger and more severe. And I might actually put myself at risk. I might put financial stability at risk. I might end up falling out with my friends, family because of things that I've implicated on myself. So the plan is to basically broaden the community, broaden the challenges and involve people in them and to provide some sort of permanent offering to help people improve their own mental health through the things that I've found have helped mine. Um, But from an actual athletic point of view, if I'm to separate the community and athleticism, I would love to do the seven summits at some point in my life. But again, that needs bankrolled. These are things that ultimately are pipe dreams, but I'd like to do Elbrus some point this year. 
potentially next year just to get a taste of whether it's something I'm truly, truly interested in or whether I'm just captivated by is the way of putting it. I'll just jump on that, which I like. It is really powerful, I think, is that part of your motivation there is just to explore, to see what that experience is like. And then you can go from there. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. You know, it's not like I'm going to do all these regardless of how I feel midway through the process. You know, if it if it stops serving you, then you know, I guess you, you're not going to climb you, the rest of the mountains. It's exciting, exciting challenges ahead, and I'm exciting for that for that journey for you. Um, so we've talked about going around the world, potentially doing some challenges. What we like to ask everyone is, if you had a case of days beers and you could take all your favourite people in the world, friends, family, whoever you want to take, and you can go anywhere in the world to sit down share your beers and, and have some good conversation. Where would you go? Good question. I'm trying to think whether it's probably somewhere Scandinavian under the Northern Lights, I think would be incredibly cool. Um, and there's a fair few spots that look unbelievable for that. But yeah, I, I think that again, going back to the nature thing, I think that would be quite a profound experience. So I'd like to share that with people close to me. That sounds really good. Also, I forgot to say earlier, I'm looking forward to an invite to um, some of these physical challenges coming up as you broaden the community. I'll have to see if I can test my metal and some of the stuff you do. <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be scaled elements, don't worry. So how, how, however much you want to test your metal is entirely up to you. That's a relief to hear. That's music to my ears. Um, Fergus, I mean, it's been amazing hearing about some of your experiences. I think people will undoubtedly want to hear more. And I know there's loads on your Instagram and your YouTube channel loads of challenges that we haven't mentioned but also a bit more about your story and and one thing we haven't touched on which is a huge achievement and and hopefully something you're very proud of is all the money you've raised for for mental health projects and and i think that's something that is incredibly powerful as powerful as the short the story of your own experiences that you've shared with us today just to wrap up because we could keep talking all day let's cheers to something what would you like to cheers to to end our conversation today um, I'd say a more positive 2021. Not that 2020 was overly negative, because if we view it that way, it makes it seem worse. But I think we're in a negative situation. But as individuals, if we let that become overwhelming, it's going to be very difficult to keep moving forward. So simply cheers to everyone's health, happiness, and a more positive future this year. Cheers to that.